listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Adam and Ben, thank you once again. So this is our 11th Sunday in our sermon through the life of David. It's hard to believe our 11th one. And up until now, we have been kind of walking chronologically through his life in 1 Samuel and now in 2 Samuel. But this morning, we're going to hit the rewind button. Kids probably don't even know what that is anymore. It's when you used to listen to cassette tapes and you wanted to hear something again. You would hit this button and actually rewind. You had to wait and you had to kind of guess and then it would hit the spot that you wanted. That's what we're going to do in the life of David. We're going to rewind. And it's not because we made a mistake. And it's not because we missed something. It's because of the significance of today in the life of the church. In fact, if you looked around, and as Adam said, there are kids everywhere. And that is great. We love having kids in here. Especially the girls right here in front. Y'all are kind of in the spitting section. So be careful. But some of them have some palm branches. Real palm branches, believe it or not, we found some and got those for our lessons this morning. But it is Palm Sunday. It's the time that the church sets aside to think about, to reflect upon that moment that Jesus rode in to Jerusalem on a colt. It marks the beginning of what we would call Holy Week or Passover Week. And we do hope you're planning to join us Wednesday night. It's going to be so much fun. Uh, the Seder meal. I'm even going to roast some lamb um, I'll do the sacrificing at home, not to disturb that, but it's going to be great. I mean, you're going to get to experience the plagues. Uh, you're going to get to taste bitter herbs. Uh, you'll get to try some lamb. It is going to be a fantastic night. So at 6.30, then come Good Friday, that, that tenebrae service, the service of shadows. But then come Easter morning when we celebrate that he is not there. So today we're going to rewind back to 2 Samuel 6. So on your devices, in your Bibles, find 2 Samuel chapter 6 this morning. As you're doing that, I want to ask you that if you ran into somebody, came across paths with them, what words would you use to describe God? You know, describing Him can be kind of difficult. He's a spirit. We've never seen Him but what words would, I don't know, you probably use? And so I got to think, we might use the words like, we've heard God is love. So we might use the word like love or loving. He's good. Talk about his goodness. Merciful. We might even say God's just big. You know, we just don't have many words to describe that he's just big. Maybe creative. Well, there is a word that describes God, and even the word itself is hard to describe. But in fact, the Bible, if you read through it, when it was being printed uh, in the modern-day press, there wasn't a way to kind of really show emphasis or when they were writing it that what the Bible would do to really get your attention, it would repeat a word. So like in John, I think John 6, it says truly, truly, or verily, verily, meaning this is important, pay attention, wake up. Well, it's the only word in the Bible that is ever used three times in a row. In fact, this word is the very thing we need from God 
more than absolutely everything. In fact, this word of all the descriptors you might come up with God for God, God's love, it comes from this one word about Him. His goodness comes from this word. His mercy, His bigness, His power, how creative it is. It all comes from this one word. And this word is the thing that we need God to be more than anything. In fact, if He changes in the slightest in this word, everything about Him is false. So it's the thing that we need the most from Him. At least I'll make the case for that today. But on the other side, it's the thing that makes God the most dangerous to us. This morning, we will see it on full display this morning. You're going to see it face to face. And when you see it, it might disturb you a little bit. In fact, it may even cause you to question His goodness, or we might say His mercy and His love. And you're going to see it in 2 Samuel chapter 6 this morning. Let's begin in verse 1. So David again, he gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and he went up to all the people who were with him from Bel Judah to bring up from the, uh, there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill. And Uzzah and Aio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving this new cart with the ark of God. And Aio went out before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel, they're celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. So for a hundred years, the Ark of the Covenant has been separated from the tabernacle. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 5, if you were to turn back, what happens is the sons of Eli, they were evil, they were bad news. They're going to go fight the Philistines, and they think if they just take the Ark, they're going to win. And they use it kind of like a lucky rabbit's foot. Well, they go, and they get their tails whipped. And the Philistines capture the ark. God, in his kind of sense of humor in a way, they put the ark in the temple of their god, Dagon. They come the next morning and Dagon is laid out on the floor with his head severed from his body before the ark. So the Philistines are like, man, this is not good. This is bad news. So they say, hey, take this ark away from us. So it sits for a brief time in a place called Beth Shemesh, and there it goes to Bel Judah, to the house of Abinadab. So David has got the ark, he captures Jerusalem, and he begins thinking, and he wants to make Jerusalem the capital of all of Israel. And here's what's interesting about the, the city of Jerusalem is that it'd be like the city of, we need a bigger city, so, you know, take Fort Worth or Dallas. And divide that city into four quadrants. Part is run by the Arabs, the Christians, um, the Armenians. And what happens is, is that this one city has got these different groups with different philosophies live, trying to live in this one city. But David unites everyone, and he wants to make it the capital. So he captures the city, he makes it the capital, and he wants to bring the ark to Jerusalem. 
So what is it then about the ark? Why is this, this ark so important? Well, the ark was simply a rectangular box made out of a kale wood. It's in fact, if you turn to Exodus 25 and 37, it's where you get kind of the specs that God told Moses about how to build this ark. It's gold-plated. It's inside and out. On top of it, it sits this golden lid. You were to take these, these two cherubim out of a single piece and pound them out with a hammer that sits on the mercy seat. They sit on the top. Their wings are outstretched over this lid. Gold rings were fastened at the bottom. They would take these poles. They would encase in gold to slide through these rings that that is how they would carry it. Inside this ark, you had a golden jar containing manna from the wilderness wanderings. Remember Aaron's staff and his wooden staff, it buds and it shows that he is the high priest. You even have the tablets that contain the Ten Commandments. But the ark is more than just a, a pretty box containing some, you know, kind of cool um, things to remember the past by. God gave very specific instructions how it was to be created, what was, was to contain, how to take care of it, even how to transport it. There was something else that made this box you, unique. In fact, the ark was the most visible symbol of God's presence in all of Israel. There was not a more important religious symbol than the ark. This was a symbol of God's holiness. There was nothing else like it in the world. Because God's presence dwelled and it rested above the ark. This ark was the link between heaven and earth. The ark, in fact, was the holiest place on earth. Because of God's presence, it dwelled there. So imagine the loss of it. The loss of the ark meant that God's presence has departed. So David, man, he wants to unite Israel. He wants to bring them together. And his mind goes, oh yes, I know what to do. Bring the ark into Jerusalem. Bring it to Mount Zion. The center of the Jewish life would then revolve around the ark. So I hope you see the picture of how important this was and, and that you see David's desire about bringing the people together and the center of their life would be God. But have you ever been so excited about something? Have you ever been so excited about something that you realized that you just made a mess of it? I mean, it's happened several times in my life. I'm so excited, nothing else matters, and I end up making a mess. So David, I mean, he can't control himself. He takes 30,000 men, but notice what they do to the ark. It says that they bring it, they build a brand new cart. And they put the ark on it. And men, they're going to wheel this thing into Jerusalem. And listen, there is a parade going on. I mean, the Jews are celebrating, they're dancing, they're shouting praises. And notice they have the enthusiasm. They have the excitement about God's presence coming back 
to the city, to the capital. But there's something they lack. And it's an important reminder, a lesson for us. Because look at verse 6. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah, or Uzzah, put out his hand to the ark of God, and he took hold of it. For the oxen, it began to stumble. And the anger of the Lord was kindled, or it came out, it grew against Uzzah. And God struck him down there before of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. So they're carrying the ark. It's on the cart. They come to this place and the ox begins to stumble. And the ark begins to fall. So he reaches out and he puts his hand. He wants to steady the ark. Probably every one of us would have done that. Because he doesn't want the ark to fall on the ground. He doesn't want it to get dirty. He doesn't want it to be damaged. And the excitement turns to tragedy. In fact, it says God's anger burns against Uzzah. And God kills him. When you're reading that, doesn't that just, doesn't that seem drastic? I mean, doesn't it seem that, hey, that's, whoa, 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 let, let's slow down. That doesn't seem quite fair. I mean, it almost seems like God's just this out-of-control, angry father when their child spilled their juice on their iPhone. You know, not that that happened. But in a fallen world, sometimes things are not what they seem. And what you are staring at right now is a picture of God's holiness. And it is the thing that we need God to be more than anything. But it is also the very thing that is most dangerous to us. So what is holiness? And some of those words, it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around it. But it is where His love, His mercy, His goodness, His bigness, and all of His power comes from. But what is it? Because oftentimes when it's explained, I think we think of a moral cleanness. And that's, that is part of it. But holiness can mean only, or set apart, or you might say utterly unique. In fact, I think the best way that I can think about holiness is to think about the sun. The sun is different. It is unique. In fact, there's nothing like the sun in our entire universe. So you could say the sun is holy. But not only is the sun holy, because it is so unique, because it is so powerful, even the space around the sun is holy. In fact, it's so unique that we need the sun to exist. If there was no sun, there would be no life. In fact, I had to share this. that I mean, If you're looking for a great family devotional book, I don't own stock in this, so I'm not pitching this to you, but it's called Indescribable, and we've been using this on, uh, we'd use it in the mornings by Louis Giglio, especially if you love science and you love nature. And so we're reading, and it's talking uh, about the sun, and it says this, that the sun creates enough energy in one hour to power every electronic device in the world for a year. So without the, the sun, life 
It could not exist. We need it more than any other planet out there. But because of the sun's uniqueness, because of its power, it's actually very dangerous for us. In fact, we know of skin cancer. But if you were to get close enough, it would annihilate you. But God's holiness is a lot like that. Without it, life couldn't exist. But if we get too close to it, it will destroy us. And not because it's bad, but because it is so good. In fact, the thing we need God to be more than anything is the very thing that is most dangerous to us, His holiness. So God gave very specific instructions about the ark. In fact, you could go to Numbers 4 and Numbers 7, and He says, don't touch it, don't look at it. They were to cover it before they were to even move it. There was a special group of people that were set aside that had to go through a special cleansing process before they could even enter into the room that it was in. That room was protected by a great uh, curtain to shield the people from it because it would destroy them. So what happens is because of its holiness, its uniqueness... Why does God do this? Why does he destroy this man? And why does David use a cart? And this is where excitement can overshadow something. See, David is excited. His excitement, it, it gets in his way. It kind, of, it kind of blinds him. He has all the enthusiasm, but he lacks something. He lacks reverence. That's how the Philistines carried the ark. They put it on an ark, and they took it to their, their land. And you know what God specifically says don't do? He says don't put it on an ark, or don't put, it, don't put it on a cart. So you know the same I think can be true for us is that we can allow our excitement and our enthusiasm sometimes to blind us. And we can have all the excitement and all the enthusiasm in the world, but we need to remember the reverence that should go along with this. Meaning this. God is not the big friendly guy in the sky. He's, he's not the big man upstairs. He is the holy God that is unique and different from us in every single way. And we need him to be that way. So the problem is not with God, but with his people. They lacked a reverence for him and his word. He gave them plenty of warning. But because David neglected his instruction, because of the lack of reverence for God's holiness, Uzzah, or Uzzah, dies. In fact, I heard one guy say it this way. The thing, the problem with Uzzah is that he thought he was more holy than the dirt. In fact, that dirt was more holy than him who would dare to reach out and to touch God? Notice David's response in verse 8. It says, David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place was called Perez Uzzah, which means to break out against him to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come with me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the, the Lord into the city of David. David took it aside 
to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. How'd you like to be that guy? Hey, I'm afraid. Why don't you put it in your garage? And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And notice what the Lord did. The Lord blessed him in all of his household. But you see what's just happened is that David is doing something. God acted in a way, and David begins to judge God. David puts God on trial. And he says, that is not a God I can follow. And he deems God unworthy of his allegiance. David said, this is how God is supposed to respond. Then if this is how God's going to respond, I want nothing to do with him. So I wonder, is this a God you would serve? Is this a God you would follow? Or has something ever happened? Has God ever allowed something or done something? That has driven you from him. But I want us to see that the death of Uzzah is actually an act of grace. Because notice the change now in David. He sees this happen with Uzzah. He says, forget it. It's not going any further. I want nothing to do with it. You take it. But then he hears what's been happening in verse 12. And it was told to King David. The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and he brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And with those who, notice this, bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps. He sacrificed an ox and the fatted animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing his linen ephod. And so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark with shouting with the sound of the horn. So the king, David, he hears the blessing that's going on over there. And he begins to reconsider his view of God. And David, he tries again. But notice the difference. He's got the enthusiasm now. He has the excitement. But he also has the reverence, the respect that God deserves. Because this time it says they bore the ark in verse 13. But if you were to turn to 1 Chronicles 15, it's a parallel passage. You know what it says? It says God assembled the priest, as God said. They used poles. As God said, they consecrated themselves, as God had said, and they carried the ark on their shoulders, as God had said. Because God's will must be done in God's way. And when they did it, the people danced and they celebrated like never before. So you know, when we do things God's way, I think we see there's a freedom that actually happens. But when we do them our way, it's only bondage and death. So David and God's people, they have an excitement, but it's, it's also a reverence. And now there is an excitement and enthusiasm like never before. The ark, the, the symbol of God's presence, is now at the center of the city. And this is how the death of, of Uzzah is actually an act of grace, Because it was through this man's death that God was calling his people. He was calling them back 
to Him. You see, they, they lost sight of God. They allowed the ark to be neglected for a hundred years. And when it was remembered, they lost sight of God's holiness and the reverence He deserves. You see, what we're looking at here is that God's holiness is essential for the salvation of His people. Because God's holiness, it will not let Him overlook one act of disobedience or sin or rebellion. Meaning God can't look the other way. It's like a parent or if you work with children, if, if you give them a command, I don't know, you tell them, don't cross the street without looking both ways. You see them run out, man, they just dart across the street for that ball. The most of, unloving thing you can do is look the other way. The most unloving thing you can do is go, it doesn't really matter, or I forgive you. So God sees His people. He sees their sin. He looks upon their disobedience and He says, No, I will not let you do that. I love you too much. But I want us to see what happens when the enthusiasm and the excitement for God is balanced. It runs alongside a reverence for His holiness. In verses 16 to 30, let me just kind of recap this. So David follows God's commands and they find freedom. They find joy. David's excited. He's dancing before the Lord. In fact, he even takes off his outer kingly garment so he looks like everyone else and he's dancing and he's celebrating not as their king, but as one of them. So he returns home and man, he's excited. God's presence is finally back in Jerusalem to the heart, to the center of Israel. And look at verse 20. And David returned, and he wanted to bless his household. But Micah, his first, daughter, first wife, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David, and she said, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering today before the eyes of his servant, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. You see, David's wife, she's embarrassed. David's not acting like a king should act, at least in her eyes. But David's reverence and his excitement for God, it won't be diminished. So he looks at his wife in verse 22 and he says, My excitement, my reverence for him, it will become even more foolish or yours might say, undignified than this before the Lord. And what we see is God used Uzzah's death to bring David back. David went from wanting to have nothing to do with God, from judging God unworthy of being in His presence, to a place of celebrating, saying, I don't care what people think anymore. So, you know, I began this morning by saying that we're going to kind of rewind the story because of where we sit in the church calendar. Because what we see today is the glory, the holiness of God returning to the people in the ark. But 2,900 years after this event that we saw today, an event of God's holiness and His glory showed up in Jerusalem in another way. The holiness of God came riding in on a colt 
in Jerusalem. In fact, Zechariah 9.9 says, They rejoiced greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteousness and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so today it marks that celebration of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a colt. Jesus came riding in perfect submission to the Lord's will. Perfect obedience to His Father's commands. And in perfect love for God's people. And the people gathered. You know what they did? They gathered in the streets. We read in Matthew 21, they gathered and took off their coats. They took palm branches and they laid them in the street. And they shouted, Hosanna, the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the most. They rejoiced. They celebrated. They shouted for joy. But as they get closer and closer to that holiness that we know is Jesus. You know what happens over the next week as they get closer and closer to that holiness. The one thing they need above everything else it becomes the most dangerous to them because as they get closer and closer to His holiness, those shouts of Hosanna will turn to shouts of crucify Him. I want nothing to do with Him. They will declare Him unworthy of their worship. You see, the very thing that we need God to be more than anything is the very thing that is most dangerous to us, His holiness. Without it, There is no salvation. Without it, there is no life. Because of His holiness, He cannot look the other way of our sin and our rebellion. He says, no, I love you too much. So I've been thinking, man, how in the world do you kind of end this? And then my mind was taken to the Lord's Prayer. Remember how it goes, it says, Our Father who art... In heaven. His holiness. Meaning you're there. We are not. We could never get to you. You are utterly unique. Our Father which art in heaven. And then it says. Hallowed be thy name. Meaning this. Would your name be holy among us? And I think that's the question is. Is that our focus, recognizing we need the enthusiasm, we need the excitement, but do we have the reverence for His holiness? And where's what I think what happens? That holiness then brings you to your knees. And you realize that you are unworthy to be in His presence. And they'd forgotten it. But then when that happens, when you recognize that, you are overwhelmed By God even allowing us to be there. So do you have an enthusiasm, but lack the reverence that God deserves? Has your excitement maybe blinded you from the need of reverence? Has the presence of God ever brought you to knees in humble repentance? So the question is, would you turn to Him today? Will you recognize your need for Him? But here's the great thing is, you don't have to go looking for Him. He came 
to you. And so the thing that we need God to be more than anything is the very thing that is most dangerous to us, His holiness. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.